0: Hey they're about coming back, yeah, yeah. does is good, yeah. Did you have a good in Yule Tide, yeah? See what's going on. See if our uh, Christmas presents has been delivered by Santa. How about some fucking jail time? Like, I went to jail before that motherfucking traitor did for nothing. Yeah, they raided my house. They didn't raid his house. They it wasn't it's not even his house. It's not supposed to be a house. It's not a rough fucking residence. He's not allowed to live there. He has to leave in fact because it's a country club. He's living at a country club so he can avoid paying taxes. Anyway, Supreme Court finally face to face with Diaper don threats now. What three hours ago? How can I build credit Smelly Trump. Credit Smelly guide, diaper, diaper don.
1: Fuck, fuck, your well, fuck yourself. Fuck yourself. Fuck yourself. Diaper don.
0: You smell. You suck. Hi, Frank
2: George we're here. done. And MMS with you, we're soccer. done. EMS is electrical muscle stimulation. So Michael Bobak, Legal AF, for just the second time in 25 years, the United States Supreme Court is going to be playing an outsized role in helping pick who is the President of the United States. It's Fuck. deja vu all over again, right? History Damn you, fucking prolonged. Supreme Court. In Justices. Four, fucking activist judge. Supreme Court that John Roberts, the current Chief Justice... Fucking w-
0: activist judges. At least six of these motherfuckers
3: would be gone if I were President right now. Settled law are corrupt. At least six of them would be gone. At least six of them would be fucking gone.
0: I would put mt and Midas touch network lawyers on short list to replace them tristopher prez trump for prison okay blame joe biden if i were president i wouldn't fought would have fought tooth and nail to make sure women did not lose their bodily autonomy aoc is right at least six supreme choice six supreme court justices lied under oath That Roe v way to settle law besides these activist judges are corrupt. Jenny Thomas
3: is an insurrectionist Resign. Motherfucker.
0: So I said, blame Joe Biden. If I were president, I would have fought tooth and nail to make sure women did not lose their bodily autonomy. AOC is right. Six Supreme Court justices lied under oath that Roe v. Wade has settled law. Besides, these activists, judges are corrupt. Jenny Thomas is an insurrectionist. Clarence Thomas should be forced to recuse himself and resign. If I were president, at least six of them would be gone. I would put MTN lawyers on short to replace them. Christopher Perez.
2: Not on. Decided that the president should be George W. Bush and not Al Gore. You can fill in the blanks as the historical ramifications of that particular decision, which still reverberate today, especially in foreign policy. They made that decision based on a, uh, a a ruling that they made coming off the Florida Supreme Court, which was about to hand the election to Al Gore, the winner of the popular vote, and apparently on paper at least the winner of the Electoral College, but not according to the Supreme Court, who over a fuck you, hour Supreme period Court, yeah. oral argument, These are the, the same County Florida, and gave the election. By the way, these are the
0: same the, the same judges that handed Al Gore, I mean, handed. George W. Bush, the victory in 20, uh, 2000 are the appointments to the Supreme Court that Diaper Donald made.
3: Coincidence? No. It's a reward. Very san- George W. Bush. Exclamation point. Coincidence? No.
0: Coney Barrett, okay. Um, the very same Republican lawyers who handed George W. Bush the 2000 election are diaper Donald's picks for the Supreme Court. Kavanaugh, Coney Barrett, Justice Roberts were all Republican lawyers for Bush. Coincidence? No. They were given Supreme Court appointments as reward.
2: Two, George W Bush we're seeing it all over again right now the supreme court is influencing the impact and impacting the uh, 2024 election two ways one of it is with rulings they are going to make and are about to make over the next month or month and a half about Donald Trump his ability to be on the ballot in certain states whether he is an insurrectionist or engaged in insurrection or or, or rebellion or not and whether he's entitled to any type of immunity that would stop any of these criminal cases against him is uh, the ones specifically in the District of Columbia and in Georgia. And that is the way they're going to influence over the next, really, four weeks in their decision-making whether Donald Trump is or is not going to be convicted of a crime before the November election. In addition... Let's not let the U.S. Supreme Court off the hook before I go back and talk to you about the specifics of the appeals that will be brought in front of the Supreme Court starting as early as the first week in January. Let's think about all the things that they have done to influence the outcome of the election by way of their own policymaking in the decisions that they've made. Let's start in March of last year, March of 2023, or this year, in the in the uh, Dodd decision in which they ripped away a constitutional right for a woman to choose her bodily autonomy. Whether she was going to have an abortion or not have an abortion, that was enshrined in case law starting with Roe versus Wade. But according to the Dodd decision written by Sam Alito, a woman never had that constitutional right, that that was a constitutional debacle, Um, that needed to be corrected, a historical wrong, constitutional wrong that these MAGA members of the Supreme Court needed to resolve, and they did it. And the result has been that every major special election since then, and every major election that's happened in the states has really gone to the side of the Democrats, because so many voters, uh, uh, women yes, but men supporting women also, have gone to the polls Um, against the Republican Party, who continues to cling to the notion that a woman should not have equality in this country or the right to choose. And by having that as part of their platform, we hope they're doomed to failure in national politics. Starts with Sam Alito, the leak, if you remember, of that draft decision, which made concrete Uh, and stopped all of the horse trading and all of the discussions that may have led to a better compromise decision. It sort of stopped it in its tracks. And the final decision that was eventually issued several months later matched the leak in March almost verbatim, at least where it mattered. And so that's one way the politics of the United States Supreme Court, which is not supposed to be the political body, influences the outcome of the election. Of course, other decisions as well decisions about the Second Amendment expansion of Second Amendment rights, especially in the face of a rising epidemic of mass shootings in America. We just hit a very um, an unfortunate record in 2023. And we're not even done yet. We haven't even put the tally in the books yet for the rest of December, and we've already hit a record for most mass shootings and deaths by by uh, by guns. And so... We have a U.S. Supreme Court doesn't care about that, cares about what the, our, our old-timey ancestors in the 1800s felt about gun control. And that is the dead hand of history that's supposed to control how we uh, regulate uh, guns, ammunition, um, weapons of mass destruction, military-grade weapons, in the hands of citizens today. According to this U.S. Supreme Court, and that animates and motivates and drives people to the polls as well on both sides. Of the polls, but you know, you know which side this particular podcast is on. And so we've got a number of rulings dealing with fundamental issues of personal liberty, uh, of of personal privacy, of sexual privacy, that the U.S. Supreme Court has weighed in on. And of course, they've crossed and jumped over. You know, we jumped the shark, as we used to say and jumped the wall that separated church versus state in a series of decisions in which they have almost invariably sided with religious organizations and religious uh, expression over, uh, you know, the, uh, what our founding fathers believed should have been a separation of church and state where there shouldn't be state-sponsored religion. And they've come dangerously close to that in a series of decisions that started the term last year. So between the religion, church, and state uh, uh, separation wall being disintegrated by the u s Supreme Court decisions about a woman 's right to choose that went against that and set them back a hundred years, if not more uh, women i mean, and then finally, decisions about gun rights and gun control, which is just completely antithetical and um, uh, hypocritical to the situation we have today with mass shootings we 've got all of that political agenda now let 's return to what they're supposed to be doing, which is passing laws. And let me talk about those laws in particular as they relate to Donald Trump and link them back to the topic of the hot take here, which is the influence outsized the US Supreme Court on the outcome of the election. There's two major issues that are gonna be coming up to the United States Supreme Court as early as January the 4th, if not earlier, and one that the US Supreme Court decided to take on their own. All relate to Donald Trump and impact Donald Trump one way or the other. In no particular order, the first thing that the United States Supreme Court has done this term in the last week has decided that they will review on appeal the uh, question of whether the, the events that happened on January 6th, the attack on the Capitol, what we like to refer to as the insurrection, was that properly charged by the Department of Justice as a corrupt Obstruction of an official proceeding, the official proceeding being Congress in session, trying to get together to certify the Electoral College and the, uh, and, and the electoral votes. Was that law that the uh, prosecutors used put in the books in 2002 during some white-collar uh, financial frauds like the Enron debacle, which was like the FTX uh, fraud of its day, Is it being properly applied to a group of people that attacked the Capitol and went after and tried to assassinate elected officials and their staff in order to stop the peaceful transfer of power? Is that a proper application of that law? And it matters not just for the 300 Jan 6 defendants that have been uh, convicted either by bench trial, jury trial or by plea of that particular charge, which carries with it a 20 year sentence. It's the second highest charge in the arsenal of the prosecutors in, in, uh, charging their cases and in, in negotiating plea deals. First high is the seditious conspiracy that was reserved for like oath keepers and proud boys and others. And then the next level down is obstruction of an official proceeding. So if that goes, not only do 300 or more defendants get their sentences vacated and get their convictions vacated, at least to the extent that that was part of the sentencing process, but Donald Trump would win because he'd get two of the four conspiracy claims that are against him, brought by Jack Smith, special counsel in D.C., dismissed. He'd be left yeah. with two more, so we'd have two more to try in March, but the two, the two with the highest point value, the highest dollar value, if you will, would be stripped away. So that, the United You're States Supreme right. is going to get a round ruling. I don't know if they're going to do it on a fast track, or they're going to do it on their normal track and issue a ruling in June. They issue a ruling in June, or sometime in April, May, or June. They'll just miss, probably, the trial of Donald Trump on the two counts that they now have up on on review, because hopefully that trial in the District of Columbia will take place in March. So we have a little bit of a mismatch there.
0: So Jack Smith and the Justice Department need to charge Old Diaper Donald with insurrection now that the Colorado courts admitted that he
2: One of the ways you solve for the mismatch is somebody like the Trump side moves to have some sort of emergency appeal and maybe a stay issued and we're off and running. So that's one thing that they're going to decide that will have a major impact on what Donald Trump is tried for in front of a jury and what they can convict him of prior to the November election. The second issue that they are um, going to have to make a decision about that will impact the outcome of the 2024 election has to do with immunity. Whether Donald Trump has some sort of absolute or presidential immunity, because he used to occupy the office, for everything that he did, or whether there are things outside the, um, the, the color of his office that clearly go to uh, non-presidential crimes, which is sort of where we are with the indictment both in Georgia and in the D.C. election Georgia. interference case. And now, once and for all, the uh, United States Supreme Court, not at the moment, but after the D.C. Court of Appeals makes its decision in mid-January, on this issue, three-judge panel, thumbs up or thumbs down. Three-judge panel is is Judge Pan, Judge um, Childs, and Judge uh, Williamson. Two of them are Biden appointees, and Judge Pan has been very vocal in her writing about Jan. 6 issues. I would be shocked if the DC Court of Appeals ruled for Donald Trump. I think they're going to rule for the special counsel, they're going to support Judge Chutkin, the trial judge's decision, that there is no presidential immunity for the indicted charges in the District of Columbia, and that Donald Trump can't use it to dismiss the indictment. Nor do I think they're going to buy the argument led by Donald Trump that somehow because he was impeached by the House but not convicted by the Senate on Jan 6 issues. He got a get-out-of-jail-free card. He doesn't get to be indicted as a civilian ever again because only Congress, this is the argument, only Congress can resolve the issue when he was not convicted. I don't think that prevails either. Any kind of what we call double jeopardy argument. And so that'll be decided. It'll be, uh, there's an oral argument on January 8th. They'll make their decision. And then from there, there'll be an appeal, I'm sure, expedited, I hope, to the U.S. Supreme Court What you heard last week is that the U.S. Supreme Court declined to take a direct appeal on the issue. They don't want it that way. They want it to come up the normal way, you know, right? Don't leapfrog over anything. You go. Trial court, intermediary court, D.C. Court of Appeals, Supreme Court. Do it that way. And I think by before the end of January, they will have full briefing and maybe even oral argument on this very important issue. I don't think they're going to just put it on the back burner and go, we'll just handle this with our in our normal way, you know, we'll see you guys in uh, March or April for oral argument, and we'll make a ruling in June. I don't think so. I think immunity, because it has effectively stayed, stopped, put a pin in the case, the trial itself is sitting on ice. They're going to have to make a ruling soon, or we're going to lose the March, the people of the the country are going to lose the March 2024 trial date for Donald Trump. So they're going to make that decision as well, by the end of January. So you've got, um, and then lastly, This Colorado Supreme Court issue, where the Colorado Supreme Court, in a four to three decision, found that, and I want to break that down for a minute, found that the Colorado Secretary of State can and should ban Donald Trump from the ballot, both the primary ballot and the presidential ballot general election, under Colorado state constitutional law, because all the judges that have looked at the issue in Colorado, not just the four that voted to ban him, All of the uh, eight Colorado judges from the trial court up to the Republican judges and the Democratic judges all have found that Donald Trump effectively engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution as that term is used in the 14th Amendment to to disqualify him. The only rub, the only uh, uh, fallout between the four and the three in Colorado in the four to three decision was that the three said, yeah, we, yeah he, he engaged in all that stuff. and It looks like the 14th Amendment applies to him to, as a president. Uh, but well, we don't want to do it. Can, can Congress do it? Maybe Congress would be better. Let Congress decide whether he should be on the ballot or maybe the Electoral College. And one of the justices said, the, uh, the, uh, the Colorado college. Supreme Court. Yeah, we know he did all these things, but he wasn't charged Fox with insurrection sake. or rebellion. I'd rather see a conviction and a crime, even though the 14th Amendment doesn't say any of that. That was their way to punt. But make no mistake about it. Eight different judges of Colorado looking at the issue saw an insurrectionist that are, and somebody participating in rebellion. When, when, they know it when they see it, and they saw it in Donald Trump. And so that issue, which is going to be on appeal on January the 4th, uh, with a paper filed by Donald Trump up in the U.S. Supreme Court from the Colorado Supreme Court, is going to be decided, I guess, also sometime in January, maybe the beginning of February. So look at the issues that the U.S. Supreme Court right now are teed up to be heard really in January or early February. You've got, um, during the primary season, by the way, you've got, as I've outlined, you've got the question, should the people like Donald Trump and 300 other Jan 6 defendants, should they have been charged because of their actions, indicted actions, should they have been charged with, obstruction of an official proceeding or was that an overcharging by the prosecutors Does that law apply and properly mapped onto these alleged facts yes or no that's a big decision because if the uh department of justice loses two of the counts for donald trump go out the window and then you see what happens with the trial before the election and the impact on the election that's that's one two they're gonna have to decide whether colorado is right or wrong about finding that donald trump had engaged in insurrection or rebellion that the Fourteenth uh, Amendment, Article Three, applies to presidents. That was another issue, and whether um, secretaries of state under their unique constitutions of their state can ban people from the ballot. That's going to be decided over the next four or five weeks, and then you've got this fundamental issue, which has to be decided. I think of all those things, really first. I think the first appeal, if we're uh, we're doing this air traffic controller, the first plane to get cleared for takeoff is going to be the one about presidential immunity, which is going to be up to the Supreme Court, but only after full briefing, oral argument, and ruling by the D.C. Court of Appeals, which will happen by mid-January. Then it'll, it'll, there'll be an appeal by the loser to the U.S. Supreme Court, who I expect will put it on a fast track, and they will make the decision whether just because you happen to occupy the Oval Office and you have a a number after your name for the president that you were, that you can commit crimes and you can't be prosecuted for them in our court system. Um, Terrible precedent if that's the precedent, and it would be against the line of cases dating back even before Richard Nixon if this U.S. Supreme Court in its six to three sort of MAGA majority uh, rules that way. Think about the precedent. This isn't just about, um, you know, to paraphrase Clarence Thomas in a speech at one time, Um, This isn't just about current events. This is about history for the long term and the Supreme Court's position and legacy in that history. And John Roberts, the chief justice's legacy here, is his legacy going to be on his watch, the Roe versus Wade, a constitutional right for a woman to choose, was ripped out of the books and torn up and left at her feet? And then later on, he chose a president in the form of Donald Trump because he found that there was presidential immunity that banned any kind of prosecution against him for the things that he did that have all been outlined at length by the Jan 6 Committee and other places. That's okay because he happened to also win the golden ticket of being the president. Is that gonna be John Roberts' yeah. legacy? Or is he gonna be able to do some horse trading here on a number of these cases I just outlined and get to consensus in a majority to set precedent that helps protect and reinstall the guardrails around our democracy? That's gonna be the question. And our liberty and our justice and our republic, our constitutional republic hangs in the balance, unfortunately. So we're gonna have to see what happens. And then of course, I'll do another hot take on, should Clarence Thomas even be making any of these decisions at all? Should this be a nine justice decision? Or should it just be eight because of Clarence Thomas having his fingers in all the pies, in all the wrong pies because of his wife, Ginny Thomas, and his own corruption issues? Uh, and Jenny Thomas, you know, basically being an insurrectionist in her own right, trying to campaign and lobby to stop the peaceful transfer of power. And so shouldn't he, for the good of the country, for the good of his own reputation, shouldn't he recuse himself? I mean, they had Ketanji Brown Jackson recuse herself from the Harvard affirmative action case because she happened to go there. I mean, if that's all it took, why is Clarence Thomas even thinking about being one of the nine to make the ultimate decisions on the cases that I'm talking about, but we'll have to follow that as well. I do my work at the intersection of law, politics, and justice, only one place that might as touch network, and on a podcast we call Legal AF, the podcast. Yep, it's exactly what you think by the title. It's Wednesdays, it's Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time, And I do it with my co-anchor, Karen Friedman-Ignifolo, and with Ben Mysalis on Saturdays. And on hot takes, just like this one, about every hour, if not every day, uh, at that same intersection. You like what I'm doing, leave me a thumbs up and a comment. And then follow us on Legal AF here on the Midas Touch Network, and then on on, uh, audio podcast platforms of your choice. So, until my next hot take, (laughs) until my next Legal AF this is Michael Popak reporting. Thanks so much for watching.
4: We're only a few subscribers short of 2 million subs. Please subscribe right now to the Midas Touch YouTube channel for free and help us grow this unapologetically pro-democracy network.
0: Need to pull up.
2: It has effectively stayed, stopped, put a pin in the case. The trial itself <clears throat> is sitting on ice. They're going to have to make a ruling soon or we're going to lose the march. The people of this, of the country are going to lose the march. 2024 trial date for Donald Trump. So they're gonna make that decision as well by the end of January. So you've got, um, and then lastly, this Colorado Supreme Court issue where the Colorado Supreme Court in a four to three decision found that, and I wanna break that down for a minute, found that the Colorado Secretary of State can yeah. and should ban Donald Trump from the ballot, both the primary ballot and the presidential ballot general election under Colorado state constitutional law because all the judges that have looked at the issue in Colorado, not just the four that voted to ban him, all of the uh, eight Colorado judges from the trial court up to the Republican judges and the Democratic judges, all have found that Donald Trump effectively engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution as that term is used in the 14th Amendment to. To disqualify him, the only rub, the only um, uh, uh, fallout between the four and the three in Colorado with the four-to-three decision, was that the three said, "Yeah, we, yeah, he he engaged in all that stuff, and it looks like the Fourteenth Amendment applies to him, to as a president." uh, But we don't want to do it. Can, Can Congress do it? Maybe Congress would be better. Let Congress decide whether he should be on the ballot, or maybe the Electoral College. And one of the justices said uh, of the of the Colorado Supreme Court, yeah, we know he did all these things, but he wasn't charged with insurrection or rebellion. I'd rather see a conviction and a crime, even though the 14th Amendment doesn't say any of that, that was their way to punt. But Where make no it mistake was Thomas it. ever Eight
0: charged? different judges
2: of Colorado, looking at the issue, saw an insurrectionist re- and somebody participating in rebellion, with, with, they know Play it when Joe they see it, they saw it in Donald Trump. And so... That issue. Don't want to which be political to be now. January the fourth, uh, with a paper filed by Donald Trump up at the U.S. Supreme <clears> Court <throat> from the Colorado Supreme Court, is going to be decided. I guess also sometime in January, maybe the beginning of February. So look at the issues that the U.S. Supreme Court right now are teed up to be heard, really in January or early February. You've got uh, during the primary
3: season, by the way.
0: Why wasn't Ginny Thomas ever charged for her role in the January 6th insurrection? What's wrong? Is that too political? And why hasn't Diaper Donald been charged yet for extorting Zelensky and 10 counts of obstruction? Is that political too?
2: You've got, as I've outlined, you've got this, the question should the people like donald trump and 300 other Jan. six defendants should they have been charged because of their actions indicted actions should they have been charged with obstruction of an official proceeding or was that an overcharging by the prosecutors Does that law apply and properly mapped onto these alleged facts yes or no that's a big decision because if the uh department of justice loses two of the counts for donald trump go out the window and then you see what happens with the trial before the election and the impact of the election yeah, that's that's one two they're going to have to decide whether colorado was right or wrong about finding that donald trump had engaged in insurrection or rebellion that the uh, 14th amendment article 3 applies to presidents that was another issue and whether um secretaries of state under unique constitutions of their state can ban people from the ballot that's going to be decided over the next four or five weeks, and then you've got this fundamental issue, which has to be decided. I think of all those things, really first. I think the first appeal, if we're uh, if we're doing this air traffic controller, the first plane to get cleared for takeoff is going to be the one about presidential immunity, which is going to be up to the Supreme Court, but only after full briefing, oral argument, and ruling by the D.C. Court of Appeals, which will happen by mid-January. Then it'll it'll there'll be an appeal by the loser to the U.S. Supreme Court, who I expect will put it on a fast track, and they will make the decision.
0: Why are all these... 175
3: or so insurrectionist Republicans still in Congress. Why doesn't Merrick Garland appoint a special prosecutor just to deal with them since Jack Smith is real busy? Other cases?
2: Weather. Just because you happen to occupy the Oval Office and you have a a number after your name for the president that you were, that you can commit crimes and you can't be prosecuted for them in our court system. Terrible precedent if that's the precedent. And it would be against the line of cases dating back even before Richard Nixon if this U.S. Supreme Court in its six to three sort of MAGA majority um, rules that way. Think about the precedent. This isn't just about, um, you know, to paraphrase Clarence Thomas in a speech at one time, uh, this isn't just about current events. This is about history for the long term and the Supreme Court's position and legacy in that history and john roberts the chief justice's legacy here is his legacy going to be on his watch the roe versus wade a constitutional right for a woman to choose was ripped out of the books and torn up and left at her feet and then later on he chose a president in the form of donald trump he found that there was presidential immunity that banned any kind of prosecution against him for the things that he did that have all been outlined at length by the Jan 6 Committee and other places. That's okay because he happened to also win the golden ticket of being the president. Is that going to be John Roberts' legacy? Or is he going to be able to do some horse trading here on a number of these cases I just outlined and get to consensus and a majority to set precedent? That helps protect and reinstall the guardrails around our democracy. That's going to be the question. And our liberty and our justice and our republic, our constitutional republic, hangs in the balance, unfortunately. So we're going to have to see what happens. And then, of course, I'll do another hot take on Should Clarence Thomas even be making any of these decisions at all? Should this be a nine justice decision? Six of
0: them should be fucking gone.
2: Should it just be at least eight? six because of Clarence Thomas having his fingers in all the pies in all the wrong pies because of his wife, Ginny Thomas and his own corruption issues. Uh, and Ginny Thomas, you know, basically being an insurrectionist in her own right, trying to campaign and lobby to stop the peaceful transfer of power. And so shouldn't he, for the good of the country, for the good of his own reputation, shouldn't he recuse himself? I mean, they had Ketanji Brown-Jackson recuse herself from the Harvard affirmative action case because she happened to go there. I mean, if that's all it took, why is Clarence Thomas even thinking about being one of the nine to make the ultimate decisions of the cases that I'm talking about? But we'll have to follow that as well. I do my work at the intersection of law and politics. You do. Justice, Great job. only one place that might as touch network. And on a podcast we call Legal AF, the podcast. Yep, it's exactly what you think by the time...
0: Okay, I'm posting on YouTube and uh, let's see, I'm going to change my Facebook to for prayers. <clears throat> it's on my mind, okay, right. I'm gonna share there to Facebook. Okay. Motor's touch fan. Motorist touch. News, minus touch videos, with minus touch, no 96k followers, sounds pretty good.
2: The title, it's Wednesdays, it's Saturdays, at...
0: Trump, diaper down Christmas collapse, it's holiday meltdown as Biden momentum grows,
1: okay. What's the magic behind the no pierce earrings that even Melissa McCarthy couldn't resist? You must have heard of the 2016 interview where Melissa claimed that she hates relying on diets or any weight loss measures that discomfort the body, advocating for a relaxed approach to naturally shed pounds. Recent-
4: and happy holidays, Midas Mighty. He looks baked. <laughs> it was the night before Christmas Eve Donald Trump was filing his appeal brief before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, claiming that he has absolute immunity to commit any crimes while he is in office and that everything special counsel Jack Smith put in the criminal indictment that was unsealed back in August constitute official acts of the presidency such that Donald Trump should not be criminally prosecuted at all what is more treasonous the brief that Donald Trump just filed before the DC circuit court of appeals or Donald Trump arguing to the Colorado Supreme Court that He didn't take an oath to support the United States Constitution. I think both are equally traitorous and treasonous, but we will talk about it here on the show. Also, a Christmas tradition, if you will. Donald Trump is whining that this is the worst Christmas ever and that 2024 is going to hell, that everything is terrible. Meanwhile, President Biden Wished Americans and the world a very merry Christmas and happy holidays, Brett. I also noticed that you were having fun with uh, your holiday spirit, if you will, telling the MAGA trolls that it was Trump who banned the words "more Christmas" <laughs> and President Biden who saved Christmas this year. And once and for all, I wanted to get into that, but you were having a little too much fun there. I also saw <laughs> that Trump smells and Trump toe bags were trending <laughs> over the weekend when I pulled up some of my social media. I need to ask you, Brett, to fill me in on, on the details there. But in all seriousness, Trump is looking weaker and weaker by the day as we head into 2024. And I'm not just talking about a prospective general the election. I'm talking about the primaries that Donald Trump is now lashing out at Nikki Haley, who's surging in the new hampshire primaries calling her bird brain because that is a mature thing for someone who wants to lead the country to do and despite the media's efforts to try to gaslight us all this holiday season there's absolutely no denying right now that president biden has the momentum going into 2024 it's like the media is upset that they're narrative is sinking they thought they were going to try to push and hoist this narrative on us all but uh-uh with strong economic metrics metrics with steady and stable leadership by president biden things are looking up heading into 2024 a lot changes brett in about a 20-day period right as the media tried so hard to doom and gloom they both look super big <laughs> numbers don't lie the actual facts don't lie when you can start conveying that to the truth you can break through these bogus media narratives and i think we're seeing that now so that's something i'm thankful for merry christmas happy holidays my dis mighty it's great to be here with you i've got family in the other room doing uh karaoke so i am in a new location for this uh video you may hear some taylor swift being sung i know that triggers MAGA, you may hear that from time to time, so bear with us as we try to get through this uh, Christmas and holiday episode. Brett, how are you?
1: I'm doing well on YouTube, podcast apps, all of the above. Please don't take this episode down if you hear a little bit of karaoke in the background. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying we're all doing our best here to bring you this show on this Christmas Day 2023, perhaps Donald Trump's final Christmas as a non-convicted felon, we will see, folks. He is in for a rough year ahead in 2024, but we here are in for a huge year, a consequential year in 2024. And I'm so honored to be able to do the show with you today. I know uh, when we were discussing it earlier, and we we always try at all costs. We go, no matter what is going on, we're going to try to get the show. The show must go on, as they say. So Jordy may be caught up in his. Christmas festivities today. Ben may have the Christmas festivities going on literally behind that door in his house today, but we are going to plow through and bring you the latest. and honestly, I just wanted to be able to spend this day with the Midas Mighty. It's always my favorite thing to be able to spend this you know hour, hour and a half with the Midas Mighty and to be able to bring everybody the news and have some fun while we do it. So sending my love to everybody this holiday season. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas Uh, to all those who may be going through a tough time. I know we are here for you. I know this could also be a tough time for many people, uh, but we want to wish all of our followers and all of our listeners here the absolute best.
4: When we last left off, it was the day before uh, the United States Supreme Court ultimately denied special counsel Jack Smith's petition for certiorari, which was Jack Smith's request for a direct appeal to the Supreme Court to hear Donald Trump's appeal on a district court judge, Judge Tanya Chutkin's denial of Donald Trump's motion to dismiss the criminal indictment on absolute presidential uh, immunity grounds. Um, When special counsel Jack Smith sought this emergency relief to the United States Supreme Court, it's important to remember that Jack Smith did not know what type of briefing schedule the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals was going to set. And for all Jack Smith knew and for all we knew, that could have been a very elongated schedule, uh, potentially even preventing the Washington, D.C. federal criminal case from going to trial in 2024. And so that context of why special counsel Jack Smith brought this emergency petition to the Supreme Court is important because normally what the steps are in any appeals is you have the trial level court in the federal system, that's the district court, then you have the various courts of appeals across the country that supervise the uh, district courts across the country. And there are different circuits that oversee different district courts. So for Washington, D.C., it's the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And ultimately on the biggest, most important issues or where there are splits or conflicts between the different circuit courts across the country, that's where the Supreme Court would potentially grant certiorari Which is that oral argument before the Supreme Court. And so, normally, if you think about the process like an elevator, you don't take the elevator to the penthouse, right? The penthouse in this example being the Supreme Court. You start at the ground floor of the district court, you go to the Court of Appeals, and then you go to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court indeed rejects most of the cases that go before it. And if the Supreme Court ultimately doesn't rule, and depending on what the the circuit courts of appeals do, then the law just basically stands what it is if the Supreme Court doesn't think that it's a, an important issue to uh, address. So here, what Special Counsel Jack Smith was arguing is that this is one of those extraordinary cases, the, the the rarest of the rare cases where you, the Supreme Court, can get involved right now. And we don't know what the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is going to do. Our democracy is on the line, is basically the argument that Special Counsel Jack Smith made. After special counsel Jack Smith made that petition to the Supreme Court, something interesting happened, which is the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, that next level on the elevator to the penthouse or to the Supreme Court, if you will, they expedited all of the briefing. They said Trump's uh, opening brief to be due December 23rd, Jack Smith's Brief to be due December 30th. Trump's reply to be due January 2nd, 2024, and ultimately a oral argument before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals by January 9th of 2024, which means I think we can get a written ruling, I think before January 20th at this point. So now the United States Supreme Court has a different set of cards before it than it did when Special Counsel Jack Smith first brought this. I think the Supreme Court said, wow, this D.C. Circuit Court did when special counsel Jack Smith first brought this uh, petition to the penthouse. And the Supreme Court, I think, and this is why there's no notable dissents, and this is why I did the hot take right away and said, I'm not as worried as a lot of people are yet about what the Supreme Court did. I think the Supreme Court said, wow, this DC Circuit Court of Appeals is moving very quickly. Let's wait to see what the Circuit Court of Appeals says. I think we all are very confident that the DC Circuit's going to affirm Judge Tanya Chutkin, the federal judge's denial of Donald Trump's motion to dismiss uh, the indictment on absolute presidential immunity grounds, because the arguments are just completely frivolous and bogus. And then it's going to go back to the Supreme Court on a another petition for certiorari, that becomes the bigger issue. What type of briefing will the Supreme Court set? Will the Supreme Court hear the case now? Will the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals grant any sort of stay of their mandate when they affirm the federal judge's order um, and send it back to the D.C. District uh, Court for the trial? Then we'll have a better sense of what's, you know, what's going to happen with the trial date. But right now, Nothing changes the fact that this would be a 2024 trial as of now, and the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is moving uh, exceptionally, exceptionally quickly. So over the weekend, as I said in the intro, uh, Donald Trump filed his opening brief uh, arguing why he believes he should have absolute presidential uh, immunity. And, you know, we've seen Donald Trump file what I just want to be direct and say that I think these briefs are, you know, treasonous and traitorous documents when you really break them down what he's saying. Like we saw the one he filed before the Colorado Supreme Court. Like I I know all of the MAGA people are saying, oh, it's so outrageous that the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that Donald Trump should be disqualified from the ballot. But like, okay, MAGA, like look. Look at what Donald Trump argued to the Colorado Supreme Court. He said Donald Trump did not take an oath to support the Constitution of the United States. This what it says. It goes, this is from the, the brief to the Colorado Supreme Court that Trump lost. The framers excluded the office of the president from section 3 purposefully. Section 3 does not apply because the presidency is not an office quote under the United States. The president is not a, quote, officer of the United States, and Trump did not take an oath to, quote, support the Constitution of the United States. Like, I don't know how any American can look at that document and go to yourself, ah, this is someone who I got to support. What what a great legal argument. Trump, yeah, he didn't take the oath to support the Constitution. Well, he clearly acted like he didn't take the oath to support the Constitution. So there's that. But No, he took an oath to protect and defend the United States Constitution, which means to support the Constitution. How are you arguing that the oath of office, because you're an officer, makes you not an officer and that you didn't take the oath? But Brett, here's the brief that he just filed on December 23rd per the deadlines right here that were ordered by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. It says Donald Trump, And by the way, they always refer to him, Trump's lawyers, in the brief as President Trump, which I don't refer to him as, so I just say Trump. Trump has absolute immunity from prosecution for his official acts as president. The indictment alleges only official acts, so it must be dismissed. And then it goes on to make the various arguments why they think that. So so just to be clear, what Trump is arguing is that if you accept as true right? All of the things in special counsel, Jack Smith's indictment that was unsealed on August 1st. If you accept as true those facts, everything in the indictment that alleges how Donald Trump tried to overthrow the election, Trump says, are official acts of the presidency such that he's subject to absolute presidential immunity, accepting everything that Jack Smith You know says as true so trump's not even arguing here i didn't do those things trump is saying except that i did all of those things i get absolute presidential immunity for that and you can't criminally prosecute me and then it goes on to say in this brief that the judiciary because of the separation of powers has no role in ever making rulings regarding current or form, in this case, form of president. So that's the argument that he made over the weekend. So just think about those two arguments, Brett.
1: Yeah, it's uh, he's just relying on the fact that he's claiming everything that he did in furtherance of the insurrection against the United States to try to overturn a free and fair election. Those were just normal presidential acts. And then the other thing that I noticed inside of this briefing when I was reading it was Donald Trump's argument that because he was not convicted in his senate impeachment trial for January 6th that he has a get out of free get out of jail free card and he could no longer be criminally prosecuted for his actions on January 6th, which is just completely outrageous. And even during the proceedings, of the, even during those very impeachment proceedings, you had Mitch McConnell specifically say that there were other means by which Donald Trump could be held accountable, mainly within the criminal justice system. Of course, impeachment is a political thing. It's not a judicial thing. So Donald Trump is trying to claim some sort of double jeopardy here, which simply does not exist. And I think it's incredibly telling, and I think it shows how airtight Jack Smith's case is that he's not saying, to Ben's point, you know what, that Trump is not saying, I didn't do these things, everything that's alleged is a lie. Instead, he is saying, okay, I may have done those things, but I am completely immune. But the argument just falls apart on its face for so many reasons, aside for just being completely absurd. The executive branch doesn't have anything to do with elections, like just period. Like we we have a, a system of federalism whereby the states run their elections. This is not a task of the president of the United States. And I find it ironic now that you see. All of these kind of MAGA people, who for so long, when you would make sort of some sort of comment about democracy, like we want to protect democracy, what would their reaction always be? been? their their snapback reaction, they'd go, "We're not a democracy. We're a republic. We're not a democracy." It's like saying uh, we're not a sandwich. We're a, we're, a, we're a chicken sandwich. It's like okay, that's a kind of of sandwich you're talking about here. We're we're talking about the same thing. You're trying to get out of it, but now all of a sudden. You know, they're they're trying to go back and and use that argument. And they're going, no, we're actually not a republic. We're actually, uh, the, the, the executive branch runs everything. There's no consistency whatsoever in any of these arguments. One of the most notable quotes that I saw in this brief that Trump filed, by the way, with like less than an hour to spare the other night before it was due, Trump's lawyers argued, quote, during the 234 years from 1789 to 2023, no current or former president had ever been criminally prosecuted for official acts. That unbroken tradition died this year. It's like Trump's attorney going out there and saying, you know what, court? No president in the history of the United States has committed as many crimes and has been as corrupt as my client. Like, you're, they have to realize at a certain point that that is the message that they're sending. I thought some of the funniest takes on this were from George Conway, who is a conservative lawyer. He was he used to be a Lincoln Project guy. I'm sure everyone who listens to us knows who George Conway is. And he uh, he took the comments that Donald Trump's lawyers made, and he put his own little twist on them. I'll read some of George Conway's tweets about this, because I found them pretty funny here. Here's one of them, for example. Uh, He takes the language of Trump's lawyers. Conway writes, during the 227 years from 1789 to 2016, no current or former or prospective president had ever paid $130,000 to a pornographic actress. That unbroken tradition died that year. And he continued. He goes on this one. During the 234 years from 1789 to 2023, no current or former president had ever civilly been held liable for rape. That unbroken tradition died this year. And he goes on again, during the 234 years from 1789 to 2023, no current or former president had ever been charged with a single criminal count. That unbroken tradition 91 times this year. So good. And it really just exposes the absurdity of Donald Trump's attorney's arguments, arguments that, of course, have already been rejected quite forcefully by Judge Chuckin. And they continue to try to make these completely garbage arguments without ever adapting them to the fact that they have no merit whatsoever. Whatsoever.
4: So next up, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals will take a read of Trump's opening brief that we just gave you some of the points Trump is making. Jack Smith files December 30th. Trump files a reply January 2nd. That oral argument, uh, they have the audio available for uh, live. So we'll be able to play the audio most likely from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals argument. It's going to be scathing. I mean, they're going to... They're gonna rip into Trump's lawyers there, so that will be uh, interesting to listen to. And then the question is, is how soon do they rule thereafter? It seems such like an obvious ruling that you may get a ruling within, you know, five to 10 days thereafter. Then you go back to the Supreme Court. Donald Trump will try to delay bringing it before the Supreme Court. Donald Trump will seek, here's what's going to happen, I could predict it fairly easily. Trump's going to seek about a 60 to 90 day, probably longer stay from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals to be able to contemplate whether or not to seek a petition for certiorari because it's all about delay. Jack Smith, the day or day after that ruling happens, will file the petition for certiorari right